0: DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to welcome back in a friend of the show, Ryan Abraham, has joined us many times, and he joins us one more time. He runs uscfootball.com and the podcast of champions. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for coming on again.
1: Oh, my pleasure. We got some uh, weird college football news going on, man. It's a strange time out here when we're covering these teams.
0: So I'm I'm curious. Uh, did anything about this surprise you, or given the way the the numbers have been going in Southern California and in Arizona, and earlier uh, in the spring in Seattle, who knows what's going to happen in September and October? And, and conference only, and the flexibility schedule schedules—the only way to handle this. So you figure it had to happen.
1: Yeah, I think what, uh, it was a little shocking when the Big Ten came out without announcement. I thought the Power Five commissioners that they you know they communicate quite a bit. That was pretty clear uh you know it seems like they caught a lot of the other conferences off guard um but once you you know you cancel a couple of huge profile out of conference games between the big 10 and the pac-12 it almost left the pac-12 no choice and like you said there's you know different states in the in the pac-12 footprint and california's had problems arizona's had recent problems and uh, you know, Washington early on in the pandemic had problems. So I think it makes sense. Uh, it might just be buying some time until the inevitable happens. But really, to me, it comes down to flexibility because we don't have a, a true leader in college football. There's no college football czar, per se. And the NCAA has only come out with statements like, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. It'll be OK. <laughs> and so I feel like this is a you kind of pull, pull the reins back in a little bit and you can at least control your conference you're still spanning multiple states and multiple local governments state governments but at least you have a leader over this smaller group of schools and you can kind of make decisions based on that so and without having someone that's running all of college football or at least running the power five i think this was the next logical step so if there's a possible way to still go on with the season they'll be able to do it on a conference level
2: so, do you think that you know Notre Dame and SC are such high-profile games, and obviously they play Stanford, and they rotate either being in Northern or Southern California? You think that that is one hundred percent not going to happen this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about it, and I, I feel like the the issue would be if you look at the USC and Stanford schedule, it's almost like Notre Dame's part of the conference because you know every other year you have five home. Conference games and four road, and then vice versa. But that Notre Dame fills that fifth spot, so Stanford and USC each have five and five. It could possibly work out. Uh, I, there might be a possibility that happens, but then you're introducing. It's sort of like introducing a foreign family member to your like quarantine group. You know, to your so you bring Notre Dame in, who will probably be playing quite a bit of an ACC schedule. So it might be a little too complex. But just the way the schedules have worked, if you're going to do a ten game. Schedule for Stanford and USC, having Notre Dame as part of that wouldn't be, I don't think it would be a terrible thing. And the travel really isn't that much further if you're going from, you know, Seattle to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, Los Angeles or whatever, but it's not that much different. I, I don't know if it's going to, I think it's going to be adding too much complexity because it's probably easier just to have Notre Dame go with one conference going with the ACC. But it seems like there's still that option out there. We just don't know how they're going to, like, shake out the schedules at this point.
0: So the thing I thought from the start, and I think about this too much, and PK will be the first to tell you, that it's fun to watch me and laugh at me. Uh, and many people <laughs> do. He's not alone. It's not just him. Uh, but the one thing I did think was, I, I, what you said about the family is a very good way of putting that. You know, They, they are worried that some of the schools that they were going to play that have less money, whether it's the Mountain West or the Big Sky or New Mexico State, I think, had a game with UCLA, uh, that they wouldn't be testing as regularly. And they could have a bunch of players get infected and impact you know, conference games and all that. So I kind of get that thinking, but I got to admit, I was surprised they didn't go with like a 10 plus one. And if you're not in the Pac-12 title game, uh, you know, you could play one non-league game at the end, and that might salvage a Notre Dame game, right? That might salvage a Utah BYU. Everybody probably has a you know something on their schedule like that that they could salvage or or even create, and it'd be the last game, so you wouldn't play another team and risk infecting them. It would be up to every school, and they'd be on their own at that point. And Mark Harlan, the Utah AD, was on, and uh, you can listen to it at 1280 thezonecom because you might want to reference this comment. He said that TV games on networks, ESPN and Fox, are worth about $5 bucks. Sound the way he said it, made it sound like they were less, worth just a little less than $5 million. And then a Pac 12 network game would be worth a little less than that, obviously. Um, and so I thought they might try to salvage some of these games. You know, it would certainly be there. And the fact that they didn't, they must have thought of it tells me that they think that they're going to need 14 Saturdays to get 10 games in and that there really isn't going to be time for an 11th one that it's going to be that bad in the fall.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point and and the the part we brought up earlier about flexibility, we've seen college football schedules, you know, a decade out like just set in stone. There's some opportunity there where like you mentioned, what if a couple teams get their games canceled, conference games and You know, USC Alabama never didn't happen, but Alabama was supposed to play like Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt dropped out and USC was supposed to play like Cal or something and they drop out. Could they say a week in advance, well, why don't we play each other? You know, where you maybe that game that was on the schedule that was gone, that now you both have openings, you could broke it up. And then, like you said, if it's towards the end of the season or after the season that there's still an open week or two, maybe you add that extra game where there's no. Uh, you know, the, the only danger would be just between the two teams. You're not going to be spreading it to to other ones. So that, I, I think the whole point of this is going to be we have to be flexible, and this is not a sport that we've seen a lot of flexibility in. So it's going to be a big shift for all the powers and all the schools because you're just not used to doing things sort of on the fly. And we might have to do that if you're canceling games week to week because, oh, this team got a, a bunch of cases, or this team got a bunch of cases.
2: So what is SC doing as far as any form of football activity right now? They, today
1: they're supposed to start their phase three uh, of integrating the players back onto campus the first phase was really just the local players it didn't even include staying uh, on uh, playing stairs on campus they were coming you know from their homes they would come work out in these pods of eight or ten guys with a trainer and a, and a, a strength coach and then go back and then last week they're supposed to start on Monday they ended up starting on Wednesday their phase two which was going to allow, players that didn't live locally to come and actually stay on campus so it was kind of a big deal last week to get players to actually stay in the dorms but it's pretty short because now they're supposed to start phase three because nationally you know you're allowed to do more team activities uh starting today i think it's eight hours a week of like uh team meetings and conditioning and stuff instead of like the zoom stuff actually can have more team activity so that's supposed to start uh, today we've here there's you know they've they've not had a whole lot of cases. Um, there've been a couple. We've heard of a few football players uh, that have had it and recovered. And like you mentioned, like Notre Dame, I don't think had any cases. Um, so that's going to be something to watch. Like how many schools, they're not seeing a Clemson or an Alabama thing where you have a whole bunch of guys getting sick. And I think just bringing them along slowly, it's helped. But now going forward, now we're start pushing towards that fall camp date. Instead of working out in these smaller groups, you're going to have more full team things and does it, you know does someone get it and spread it through there so we have to watch that closely but today's kind of a bigger day it's starting that last phase where really this is kind of like that starting the six-week period to starting the football season so now excuse me now i think we're going to know a lot more because you're going to have more guys together instead of like in these small pods They're going to be more full team things
0: don't know how much you've heard from the players about this, but obviously LSU, Texas, Clemson—you know—we heard of a bunch of positive tests. But then I read a story about Notre Dame. They've been in an on-campus hotel, and I think it's one I actually stayed in when I was back there for an NIT game. Uh, and they've only had, I think, one—the one test. And the thing I read in the story was that they've made it really clear to Notre Dame guys: if you want football. You can't cheat on these rules. These rules have to be, they have to hold firm. They have to be absolute. And how badly do these guys want to play football? Now here, we've seen a running back who's actually from Southern California, Jordan Wilmore, was on social media saying, football, I miss you so much. And it was with a shot, it was on social media with a shot of him at practice. Do you have a sense with the USC football players, how much they've had this spelled out to them? How much they're adhering to it?
1: Yeah, um, so we, you know, they're being pretty quiet uh, about the stuff. We're seeing some stuff on social media. I know Marquis Step, uh, running back from Indiana, was upset on Twitter that he's not going to get an opportunity to play, uh, you know, against Notre Dame. You, you had mentioned before, you know, his hometown, uh, his hometown team. It's funny with Notre Dame. I think they have to take it seriously because they're sort of like the the alienated family member, they want to join someone else's kind of quarantine group. And if they have a bunch of cases, no one's going to let them in. So they, I think they really have to take it seriously. But in, in the, the California schools as well, I I feel like because of all the outbreaks there, I think they need to uh, really take things seriously. I mean, the, the message we've heard from the administration and from the coaches and stuff is, is really for the players that, you know, this isn't something you can really cheat on. And we've heard about just, you know, a case here or a case there, uh, as players start to return to campus but I think they've done a pretty good job overall but if you're in a hot spot you're in Arizona you're in California I think you really do have to because if it was USC that had a whole bunch of cases like we saw with Clemson I mean that might cause the whole Pac-12 to shut down who knows so I think they're I think they've done a pretty good job of it it's obviously you know, unprecedented. We've never seen this uncharted territory here. But I think the message we've been hearing from the players and coaches has been pretty positive as far as like what they've been able to do and not really you know cheating the system. So they you know try to keep people as safe as possible.
2: As far as football goes, you know, with Harrell running the offense, it's different than what SC has traditionally been with those Heisman Trophy winners and all those great running backs. Uh, how is recruiting going regarding top-notch running backs?
1: Yeah, the running back situation hasn't been as good. They they brought in Mike Jenks who was uh you know working with uh Graham Harrell. It's funny, you know, we I mentioned Marquis Step earlier. Mike Jenks said he's never had a running back like that that, you know, two hundred thirty pounds that can still run. So I think there's an adjustment on the, the coaching staff as well as far as trying to figure out, you know, what direction do they want to go uh with with running backs. Now they picked up uh Brandon Campbell uh the four-star running back out of the state of Texas. So, they, you know, there's still those Texas ties between Harrell and Jenks and, and there. But it's not, you know, haven't had much success out here on the West Coast uh, recruiting running backs. And I think part of it was last year they had all their guys get hurt. They end up starting, you know, Keaton Christian for a few games later and see the true freshman they thought that were going to redshirt. And they're trying to figure, you know, I think they want to get a feel for what how they're going to use these running backs. We heard Harold say he'd like to run the football 45% of the time, Uh, They get their quarterback hurt. They get a bunch of their running backs hurt. I don't think we got to see fully what he intended to do. So if they do have a season, I think you're going to see a more balanced attack, but still with uh, you know, throwing the football all over the place, but running the ball a little bit more. I think that would help with the running back recruiting going forward. Right now it's sort of like this. They're not sure. Like, are you going to use running backs? You're not going to. I know that the plan was to do that with all the injuries and stuff. I think that got derailed a little bit. So we'll see. If If they get a season and they're able to do that, I feel like it will be. It'll make the fans a little happier that they're running the ball more than, you know, just the. the it's not the Mike Leach pass happy air raid that some of the fans kind of think it was going to be or it was.
0: Once you get people spread out, you can really run the ball. <laughs> i yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry <laughs> too much about that. That that seems like the last thing USC fans need to worry about. Uh, watching the recruiting unfold here, you know, I wouldn't want to guarantee anything on any one kid, but it seems like. USC is getting enough high profile kids. It really seems like USC and Oregon are cleaning up. And even, I, who knows what this season's going to look like, but assuming we're back to something that looks like normal in 2021, those two schools ought to be posed to kind of, or, or, or set to be the, um, the pillars of the conference that you expect them to be. And that we've seen in other conferences where Oklahoma and Alabama and Ohio State have been those pillars, Clemson now. Do you think USC and Oregon are setting up for that, where they're both going to be loaded, and they should be on track, even though it'll irritate Ute fans for a Pac-12 title game?
1: Yeah, I mean it looks that way. The USC's back to recruiting the kind of way they should be. Uh, they normally were. I mean, last year was the worst recruited class we'd ever seen. Uh, they hired a bunch of new assistants that actually go out and recruit instead of uh, they, were, they were kind of part-time recruiters before, and that you just can't do that in college football. If you're a, a big development program like Utah, where you take guys that are three stars that maybe not as many people know about, and you turn them into, you know, first and second round draft picks, that's not really USC's MO. They need to bring in the, the four and five-star guys. So they're getting back to that now. Dante Williams, who they brought in from Oregon, has been a big part of it. But Oregon's recruiting like crazy, and I think they've done a good job developing players as well. So I think everyone has their own DNA as far as programs go. USC sort of got away from that a little bit, but I think to see Oregon recruit at this elite level, getting best you know best players in California, best players on the West Coast the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, I think they're setting themselves up really well with Mario Cristobal. USC needs to get back there. This class, you know, if it, if it holds together. Is back to kind of normal for USC. The last couple of years have just been really shaky, especially last year. I think now Clay Elton's got a much better staff, and he's putting that together to, to bring in more talent. they got to use it. they got to utilize it. But they're at least bringing that talent in like they used to for you know, for decades before.
2: Yeah, one of those guys is Vic Suoto, who's a BYU guy, obviously a Polynesian. So we got some people up here who are nervous that Vic is going to come steal our guys away. That guy is amazing.
1: I mean, he's only been a, college, a full-time college football coach for three years. You know, he followed Bronco Mendenhall around. And, man, just talking to him, the energy he has, and it's just infectious. And you could see, if you're a big defensive lineman, Polynesian defensive lineman, anyone, I mean, you just talk to the guy, and he it, it's electrifying. I mean, he really can sell the program and what, you know, what it means to, to be a great football player. And he's shown it, you know, in his – coaching career and also in his playing career so he's he is great he's someone that you know, great to talk to and uh, i think that was a really good hire sort of one of those unproven guys but as soon as you see him you're like okay this guy's going to be a really good defensive line coach for a long time
0: you think we're set up for uh, a lot of transferring with all the zoom recruiting that's been going on between kids getting overlooked who are want to go to brighter lights and all that stuff and teams that regret some of the guys they signed is it going to be crazy in the next couple of years
1: I think we're seeing the commitments at a crazy level. Like it's more than double the, 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 this time of year the number of verbal commitments that are happening, which to me means there's going to be a lot more decommitments as well. And I feel like the transfers are going to. This isn't going to curb the. You know, transfers have been going the way up. I think this is only going to be worse. There's going to be so many different situations. If you have a team that you know is in a conference that maybe you know having to cancel a bunch of their games, you're going to see some of the players want to jump ship. I mean, that, it's it's such uncharted territory. Like we said, I feel like transferring is going to be one of those you know that, one of the power plays that you can make if you're a player because you don't have a lot of uh, you know tools in your toolbox as far as you know t- things to do to help yourself. Transferring is one of them. So I I think you're right. I think we are going to see a whole bunch of transfers <laughs> going on, and maybe you're sitting out a year, and maybe it's a time you don't care if you're going to sit. This is a good year to sit out because you don't even know what's going to happen in the season. So you, the, you mitigate, you're mitigating some of the risk of, oh, i got to sit out a season, but I'm sitting out this weird COVID season, so does it really matter? So, yeah, I, I don't think we've seen it yet, but as we get the season becomes more defined, I think you're going to see a lot of it. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to skip this season. I'll transfer somewhere else and, and uh, pick up my career there.
2: Did the coaches basically tell uh, J.T. Daniels that he wasn't going to win the job? Is that why he didn't want to stay and compete?
1: You know, it's funny. Graham Harrell is a huge Keem Slovis fan, but Clay Helton loves J.T. Daniels. I think I think Clay Helton would have given J.T. Daniels every opportunity to play. And, I, and we've seen, you know, USC started three different quarterbacks last year. To me, it made the most sense for J.T. Daniels to stick around. He would have shown everyone that his, you know, knee recovery you know, from surgery. Is going well. He was going to play. They're going to blow out some teams, so he would play even if Keaton Slovis didn't get hurt. But there's a good chance that he would get hurt too. So um, I felt like that would have been his greatest opportunity. And if Slovis would come back for his junior year, and then he's going to be a starter, JT could leave. He'd already been graduated and still have two years to play. You know, in this case, he's not going to be able to play that first year at Georgia. But like you said, like this was not a season that you probably were going to want to play anyway, he could learn the system there and then kind of go forward and have an opportunity to start the next couple of years, unless he gets some kind of waiver. So I just, you know, logistically, just made sense for JT Daniels to stick around another year. And I think he would have had an opportunity to play, but I don't think he was, I mean, Keaton Slovis was just so good last year, it would really be hard to to overtake him. So I feel like Clay Hilton was going to give him every opportunity, and JT Daniels and his family decided it was just better to go somewhere else.
0: Ryan, as always, we appreciate it. Great to have you come on and talk some Pac-12 football, talk some USC football with us, and uh, thanks a lot.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. i mean, hopefully, crossing your fingers, that we get a season, but I don't know, man. It's getting scary out there.
0: <laughs> Ryan Abraham, you can read more of his work at uscfootball.com. You can listen to him at the Podcast of Champions.